Magoni's a goal scorer. What about Dante? Dante's his own breed. Give me two seconds, Eichel and Svetch, and I'll be coming at your neck. Richard Zednick, laugh past the breadstick, or Tammy will bury. Send him on his merry way, lest it's on carry. What's sadder than KK's broken spleen? Leafs fan with hopes and dreams. Rick Moose is back for season three with hot takes like you wouldn't believe. I'll block shots. I rescind that. You've never blocked a shot for me. Now let's turn it over to the host of the show. His character's high, but his skill level's low. Kid back checks like you don't even know. Championship flow, Jonathan Quick is a schmo. Yeah. Oh, hello there. Tis the season. Last year was like treason. Stanley Cup, or like a COVID cup. The year of Cooper was more a big blooper, like Ferris Bueller in a brand new cruiser. Now my car is a star, moves like a sports car He can sauce like a boss and crisscross like Art Ross He's peanut butter smooth like Quinn Hughes And a work of art like that upstart Carter Hart Mmm, that's good kokanee right there So in comes Keith, will the boys be Leaf? Can Jumbo Joe and Austin Smoe avoid another repeat? It's time to start the show, so turn up the stereo Put your feet up, relax, enjoy a Bud Light Jack Hello there. Welcome to season three, episode eight of the Rink Moose Hockey Podcast, an episodic podcast where two good pals get together and discuss all things NHL and their implications in the fantasy hockey universe. universe. I am one of your hosts, as always, Nick Costu, along with this annoying schmuck on the other side of the computer. <laughs> Kyle, nice. Kyle, how are you doing on this April Fool's edition of the Rink Moose podcast? Do you have any idea what jersey I'm wearing right now? I'd love to see, but you're hiding yourself. I mean, myself and our go- guest this week, we're, we're, we're happy enough to be on video, and yet you're hiding behind a photo. <laughs> I feel like you should be able to guess what kind of jersey I'm wearing right now. Um, this is a friendship test. <laughs> Uh, I know you recently purchased a jersey. Is it that okay. one? Okay, go on. Uh, it is a player that's been in the news the last few weeks, a tumultuous player to say the least. Uh, the man we call Bud Light Jack. Um, and that's all that needs to be said. Bingo, baby. Bingo. John Eichel is on my back right now, and I couldn't feel any better. Hmm. What's the story? What's the story again with the John? So his real name is John, John Eichel. It's always been John. It's what's on his passport. Um, And uh, I don't know where Jack, the real story is where did Jack come from? That's the real story. And I don't have the answer for you. Maybe he just likes it better. Maybe his teammates started calling him Jack and it's stuck. I don't know, but uh, that's a, that's something just nobody really acknowledges, but uh, it's the truth. It's John Eichel, which is just way less cool, by by the way. Sure, sure. Um, okay, well, without further ado, we introduce in the rotating third chair this week, his first time back on the show since January, as I scrolled through the history earlier today. What I will, I'll call him today the, the bubble boy, uh, Michael Ooh. Robson. Uh, Michael, how are you doing on this fine evening? 
I'm, I'm doing good. Uh, I think I have to address the freezing cold take, which forced me to uh, self-isolate from the podcast for the past couple of months, which is that <laughs> I predicted Winnipeg to be dead last in the Canadian division. Oh, um, I forgot so about that. That that was wow. uh, that's looking like a completely frozen take at this point. Um, if I could forget that one, I would, but. I'm happy to be back, and hopefully this time around I, I make a little bit more sense than I did last time. Now, you, you know why I'm alluding to you as the bubble boy, right? Uh, no? No? So if you look at our fantasy league right now, you, my friend, are on the bubble. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not entirely sure uh, where I'm supposed to go here. What do you mean? Well... <laughs> I think it might be time to start selling. <laughs> right, right, right. Deadline. I, I know. I see you as a bubble team because it looks like you're having a, you're fighting, you're making a good effort this week. You're having a good week. You're like a dozen points behind the teams that you're bo- like behind. I think you're in it. Well, in it to win it. The big thing is goaltending, right? And uh, <clears throat> Claude Julian getting fired might have might have been the best thing to happen to my fantasy team this year. Ooh, spicy. Um, yeah, because all of a sudden the Canadians are turning it around and I'm starting to see a little bit more of the old carry price. Oh, yeah. He's back. He is back. That's for sure. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. you know what? Uh, uh, well, no, I mean, you could you could now very reliably ride price as, as a solid number one. Um, and then I think uh, I think Elvis, you know, He's he's been sketchy, but I think yeah. he's a decent uh, guy to have on the roster as well. And, and he don't, has been yeah. hot recently. I I wasn't expecting him to be as good as he's been, but he has been very hot recently with a couple good games. There you go, stealing the net, stealing yep. the net back. Don't forget, it's it's very bottled up the standings, like the especially you know seven six five, very <clears throat> bottled up. You're not you have there's two potential playoff spots there you can take not you know not just one so I yep. wouldn't I wouldn't start thinking about selling till maybe next week depending on how this week goes but I think it's looking pretty good for you this week the best the best outcome for me is if I could catch Schechter right now I'd love that I, I would I, love that I made that trade for that first round pick and look at Mitch Marner now you wanted Obi hey. got Obi yeah I'll take Mitch every day of the week. And here's the thing with that guy's logic. He comes on the show a few weeks ago and says, if I win every week 5-4, I can't lose. I'm like, statistically, like points percentage-wise, can you even make the playoffs if you're just 5-4 every week? Because I don't even know. uh, You probably can, (laughs) but I don't. It's not a great strategy. It's too close to call. It's way too close to call. I'll take a loss to him 5-4 if I'm beating everybody else 8-1. Exactly. So I don't know. I don't know. It's kind it's, of it's a lots it's, of interest. It's kind of a bitch way of doing things because I, I think that he I, I'm just speculating, but it sounds to me like he's too scared to go after the good players. So he'll be he'll just be like, oh, you know what? I'm going to go after the fucking shots and hits guys. And that's how I'm going to make my team. <laughs> oh, yeah. and, and here's a guy where four of the categories are goalies. And he was carrying into this season, Andre Vasilevsky and Tuka Rask. So, like, uh, Rask has been injured. Mm. Uh, he's had Ben Bishop on his IR. 
This guy's set up to win four categories a week every week on goaltending alone. So he's going to win one player category a week then. That's yeah. That I I'm sure that's how he how he structured it all on the blueprint. But yeah. You know what? I said this to Nick the other week too. Like, if you look at those standings, yes, there's a little bit of a, a gap between yourself, Michael, and everyone else, but everyone else is so tightly packed. Like I was saying to Nick, if I fuck this week up, I could legitimately go down to sixth place. Like it's so, so, so close. It's like it, the standings are, are the, the parody in this year, as we said early in the season, has been living up to the hype. The, the one thing I forgot too is that I'm, <clears throat> I don't necessarily need to tank. I've got a first round pick for next year's draft locked up as a keeper in the 14th round in Nikita Kucherov. Oh, wow. right. This guy. <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> so you are, doesn't matter what happens this year, you're already laughing with money in the bank, no matter what happens. Yeah, I'm Julian that, Breesbaugh in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to feel pretty good. <laughs> so your house yeah. money, your house money, Mike. Yeah. I like that. So I just like that to a get lot. it. Just to get us rolling here, I, I have to uh, I have to interject and give kudos to mutual friend of the show, Joseph Camilleri. Um, oh, he come basically on, comes up, comes out of fucking nowhere. Buffalo says makes a big bold claim says Buffalo's <clears throat> ending the streak tonight. Eighteen game streak is over. I'm like I think he's in cahoots. Like I I, I don't know what he's thinking. You know, Michael, you're sending statistics about Brian Elliott versus the Sabres. He's got a 1.1 GAA. Kyle's picking him up so he can get ahead of me in fantasy. He thinks he can run a fast one by me. He's like, I'm going to take Elliott. Two spot starts against Buffalo. See how Nick hey, reacts now. He got one win at least. You know what happens, Kyle? You poke Barely. the bear, you eat shit. That's what happened to you, buddy. You what ate bear? shit. What bear? The Buffalo bear. <laughs> oh. They came Come on, back. man. I, I was I was rattled. I, I was not watching the game yesterday. I was I was at a movie. I was at a movie theater. I left the theater. My phone, my phone was blowing up the whole movie in the movie theater. And sure enough, when I checked my phone, <laughs> it was because Joe was going off about how his sabers, how he just made a shit ton of money because he put a hundred dollars on the sabers. So in honor $100. of Joe, dollars, a hundred dollars. Wow. In honor of Joe, I am hoisting a Labatt 50. Uh, I've never had one of these. This is my first Labatt 50, and he was not joking. Very That's malty, his favorite? Very malty, very, very flavorful. Uh, <clears throat> it definitely is not what you expect out of Labatt. It is a ale if I've ever had one. Wow. Well, Highly That's recommend. crazy. So I got to ask, too, because I know I know right now that Kyle's watching this Rangers game. Um, are you up to are – you, are you live right now? Yeah, no, what happened? What? what? Did something happen? They're in I'm overtime. Live. I'm no. No way. Yeah. Holy fuck! I did not know that. I switched over to Pittsburgh. <laughs> I did not see this coming. Okay. So, sorry. Buffalo, sorry, folks. Buffalo tied it up, and it is currently in OT. Wow! 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 Well, thanks for the tip. No, Lafre- no Lafreniere shift just yet. So yeah. uh, rest assured, there. Don't get too excited. All they needed was the Camillary luck. Yeah. Yeah, so kudos to Joe. I mean, uh, hell of a bet. He just he just knows when to when to make a bet, and yeah. uh, just just had to say that from the outset. He he's got an eye for these things, but I mean, if there's a team that's like in competition for as a big of a joke as Buffalo, it, it's Philly. Is it not Philly? 
Like the, these guys, I cannot believe how you can fuck a goaltender as hard as you've fucked Price and Elliot. Or sorry, Hart and Elliot. Like these got the defensive structure is absolutely abysmal. And especially if you look back to the playoffs this past season, you're like, okay, this team sucks at offense, but at least they can shut it down defensively, like what they did to Montreal. It's just so backwards this year. I don't know what has gone on. It is just, it's it's abysmal. You you've ruined the confidence of Carter Hart. This guy's what is this guy's confidence is eggshells right now. Like this guy, he feels like he can't do a thing right. It's I don't know what's going on there. I haven't watched closely enough, but like Buffalo, Buffalo's used to this. Philly, like this is a shock to the so, system. I had Philly in first place in my fucking predictions. It's crazy. So are we we're talking Carter Hart. I guess this is a good may as well. <laughs> if we're talking Carter Hart, um, yeah, I'm in the same boat as you, Kyle. I'm in absolute disbelief how a team that looked as good as it did on paper to start the year is where it's at. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with the defensive structure, but there's also at this point, you need to build Carter Hart's confidence back up. Um, yeah. I read a great article this past week by Greg Wyshynski or yeah, Wyshynski from ESPN, which talked about his positioning and uh, talked about how one thing with confidence with, with goalies in particular with Carter Hart is that he's just going down early. So he's going right. down early on every play. And it means mm. that for the East West plays, by the time the puck's in the net, his leading knee hasn't moved. Uh, he's not pushing off. Interesting. Because he's hitting the ice and it, it, <clears throat> it impacts rebound control too. Because if you go down as the puck hits you, you're driving it down into your own pads, right? Mm-hmm. But instead he's hitting the ice and then the puck's hitting him and just bouncing off haywire. So he's giving yeah. up a lot of chances east to west, tons of goals that way and tons of rebounds. Um, it doesn't help that the Flyers give up so many rush chances uh, in in every game. But yeah, I think they need to rebuild his confidence. I like that they're having him sit out some games. But it's it's crazy to think that the goalie we saw in last year's playoffs, who had nine wins and a nine twenty six save percentage, mm-hmm. has been as bad as he's been this year. Mm-hmm. I love I-, I love the Alan Vigneault quote. He needs to work harder. He oh. needs to work better. Oh boy. Oh (laughs) my God. It's so just general. Such an idiot. And you know what? If if I'm a guy pointing fingers, it's probably at the coach, you know? So for him to come out and say that, especially when a a 22 year old goaltender is feeling like this, you have got to be shitting me, my friend. Well, man. Yeah. And from what I understand about Carter Hart, there it is. He is one of the first guys in the room and one of the last guys out of the arena every day. Like he's working hard. It's not that he yeah. has to work harder. It's that he needs to build up his confidence again. And you start by putting oh. a serviceable system in front of a young goalie. <laughs> Such a ridiculous take. L- let me ask you guys this. I want you to put your general manager hats on or, or your coaching hats, whatever you want it to be. How do you handle Carter for the rest of the year? Is it play him as usual is it make him a backup is it trade for another goalie is it send him to the ahl what what do you do for this guy to build back that confidence uh i mean personally i think you treat it as the habs did carrie price and yaro halak back in i think it was carrie price's 25 year old season where 
he had a bit of a regression. I mean, he was still above 900 and um, around two and a half goals against per game. But I think you make Elliott the starter for now and give Carter Hart some of the more favorable starts, maybe put him Mm. against teams on the tail end of a back-to-back. Right. Uh, But uh, those are coaching decisions, right? Not, not general management. Yeah. 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 It's kind of, it's kind of, Similar to that, what happened to Jake Allen three, four years, three years ago, right in St. Louis, they had yeah. him stay home, don't come on the road trip, stay home, work with the goalie coach. I mean, it, a lot can be said about just not giving a guy games and just having him work with your staff. Like I know he's not a goalie, but if you look at what's happened to that Galchenyuk character of late, <clears throat> like right. the the Leafs acquired him, they take him into their camp. He 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 gets to know the the staff there that work with him, all the skills trainers. He doesn't play any games. He just he just sits in the press box every night. But every day he works fucking hard. They break him down. It's like it's like training from from boot camp all over again. And you mm. see the guy now. He's like the hardest working guy on the Leaf roster. It's crazy. So I know it's not a goalie, but I think there's something to be said about just putting on the brakes. No games for you. Back to basics and work your way back up, you know? Yeah, I hear and, you. And their, their goaltending coach is a, is a good one, right? Like, Nick, you're you're an LA Kings fan. This is Kim Dillabao, who worked with Jonathan Quick through the two cup runs that the LA Kings had. Right. The guy right. who's worked with Jonathan Quick, Jonathan Bernier, Martin Jones, and those players saw regression, you know, once they sure. saw Sure. So, like, he knows what he's doing. Let the kid work with him, build that confidence back up, and get back to form. Mm-hmm. Next, uh, next to Kyle's friend Mitch Corn, that's about as good a goalie coach as there is. So uh, that's a good yeah. point. Park in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. Oh, so, oh. Can I? Yeah, can I ask you, you one? Just, just before we move on from Buffalo, I, I'm just a, a, again a character testing question because I don't know if we're going to come back to Buffalo. But regarding Taylor Hall and this trade deadline, um, Nick, uh, what what is your favorite team in this league? Uh, why are you asking such a hard question? <laughs> it shouldn't be that why hard. Why are you doing this to me? It shouldn't be that hard. I don't have a favorite team. Pick a team you like, man. LA, Vegas, okay. Toronto. Oh, right, right. You stop right there. Stop, stop, stop. Mike, can you, can you pick a favorite team? Oh, my favorite team is Toronto, hands down. <clears throat> okay. Uh, I'll ask you both. Would you be on board with your favorite team trading a first round pick and a reputable prospect for Taylor Hall? Fark, no. (laughs) Mike. Couldn't put it better myself. I completely and unequivocally agree. This guy is a dud among duds. (laughs) <laughs> he does not deserve any sort of hype whatsoever. He's just horrible, horrible player. I'm, I watched the game tonight. He's fucking listless out there. Even, even when Buffalo is trying to win games and trying to have, have some effort, this guy is just a dud, man. And I think the character issues that were honestly rumored back in the day and that that word was being thrown around bad character with this guy it's to me very legitimate now very legitimate yeah i mean pierre was working their game yesterday 
So it was kind of funny. They were making fun of him this morning, saying he was the lucky, he was the lucky charm for the for the Buffalo Sabres. Pierre working the, the game. No, 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 no. Like just just having him being there <clears throat> calling the game. He was their oh. lucky charm. He was in Buffalo. Okay. Um, oh, okay. And oh, Pierre was Pierre. Was. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and and Pierre, uh, he was do- shooting like he, there were segments where the camera was just isolated on Taylor Hall, and Taylor Hall just was not skating. And Pierre was like, "You got to skate! You got to skate!" And he was like yelling at him over the tape. Um, and and yeah, no, apparently he's just not invested right now. And no, he's not. Okay, maybe maybe it's easy to say that when your team is so you know so terrible, colossally bad as this franchise is. But I don't know, like there's still something to be said about like, if you're trying to get traded, if you want to prove your value, you're, you're, you're on a one-year contract. You still got to come out and play every night and you're not doing yourself any favors. Oh, not, not, not improving your game. He's got two goals and he's getting paid $8 million. It's ridiculous. You, you are being paid, paid the money to be a solution to some of these problems. You're being Mm -hmm. paid money to, get a win here and there, you know, yeah. based on your individual efforts, a, a sneak, a win, sneak two or three wins. You know, that's what you're being paid to do. That's who you are as, as this name brand player. And for him to not even put in the effort, it's like, wow, this is, and I'm sure he feels like he's been wrong. He's been done wrong by, and all this crap, all this prima Donna crap, but I'm sick of it, man. I, I don't like this guy at all. Well, I, yeah, you touched on it, Kyle, and like just about you're paid to come in there and be a difference maker. Yes, there's a lot of injuries, and you can complain about maybe the help that you expected isn't there right now, but you're paid and you're expected to be able to drive your own line and drive production, even with those guys out of the lineup. Yeah, yeah, agreed. There's nothing else to be said about it. This guy, I don't. Like, I don't want him anywhere near my Montreal Canadiens. I do not want him. Yeah, or or Toronto for that matter. I've been reading reports of that potentially being a trade. So, yeah. I, I know we've talked a lot about him being a bit of a locker room <clears throat> answer, but does he not seem like the perfect player that Vegas would pick up and all of a sudden he's just... <laughs> yeah. Honestly, yeah, I could see that. For sure, I could see that. But... I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I. I just don't know if. Ah, oh, that's that's tough for me to envision. That's tough for me to envision. Well, speaking of Buffalo, they did make a deal. Not Taylor Hall, for that matter, but they did make a trade uh, with the Montreal Canadiens, your team of all of all teams, Kyle. Great segue. Uh, Yep, trading Eric Stahl. <laughs> well, we need some structure on the show. I, <laughs> yeah. mean, I, I feel like we're lacking some structure, so I need I need to get us somewhere. I need to ride ride the ship somewhere. Uh, That's good. Sa- Sabers trade Eric Stahl to the Montreal Canadiens for two draft picks. Um, they'll be sending a 2021 third and fifth round pick to Buffalo, uh, while the Sabers will <clears throat> retain 50 percent of Stahl's salary, uh, which is 1.625 million. Of the current 3.25 mil cap hit. So, what's going on with Stahl this season? Well, he's played 32 games for Buffalo, uh, and much was expected of him, but like much of that team, uh, he's been kind of a disappointment. Three goals, seven assists, and a minus 20. Um, so, with all that said, there, Kyle, um, what was your instant reaction when you heard that you had acquired Eric Stahl? <laughs> Well, first of all, instant reaction is based on the price, it's a win. 
you know, a third and a fifth, it doesn't move the needle for me in terms of loss. So I think that's a win. What you're getting is uh, more depth down the middle, more wisdom, more leadership, all that kind of great stuff. Um, it remains to be seen what he's going to do on faceoffs. That's what Montreal really needed was a good, solid, reliable faceoff guy. Stalls below 50% this year. Again, that could be a Buffalo factor. I'm sure he can work up to that 50, maybe 50 plus range for faceoffs. Um, but you know what? The guy in terms of his offense and, and in terms of what kind of player he is now, I don't know if he moves the needle for me so much. I do consider this a win for the Montreal Canadiens. But if you were to ask me who would I rather have, Jason Spezza or, or Eric Stahl, I would take Spezza. Um, it's just something recently I saw in like a behind the scenes, this is the life of the Stahl brothers in, in Thunder Bay, where I'm like, man, this guy, and you saw him with his family and all this kind of stuff. This guy doesn't seem to be much of a hockey fanatic, if you know what I mean. Like, it seems like he spends his off seasons, you know, doing random shit. And then he, he picks up skating with like two weeks to go in the season, in, in the off season. I mean, I, I just don't see the passion there that, I, that I'd like to from, from like a Spezza, for example, who, who came out and said, oh, if you pick me up off waivers, I'm going to retire. Like, I like seeing that from these veterans. It, it seems like he went to Toronto to, for a purpose. Like Stahl, I just feel like he's kind of drifting around in, in the league now. Um, I'm not sure where the offense is. It's really hard to say at this point. Um, I've just never been a, a massive Stahl fan like many people have been. But obviously the trade is a win. Uh, I think he's just going to be a fourth line center that is going to cause some uh, extra stability. But uh, is it going to move the needle in terms of offense? I, I don't think so. Yeah, I like how Pierre summed it up. He basically said you're essentially getting a role player who is there to play a very particular role. If you expect anything more than that, that third or fourth line center, then you're doomed to fail. Right. And hell, he might even come to the playoffs. He might even be a scratch. You know, like mm -hmm. he's going to be, he might be in and out because we all know sure. they have their center sure. depth. You know, it's, they got a lot of center depth. You know what you got? You got Suzuki. <clears throat> you got, uh, you got uh, Jake Evans, uh, Deneau. And Kokanyemi. So it's already pretty loaded there. So mm -hmm. if you want a different look, you want a guy who can win faceoffs, then plug him in there. Plug him in depending on the matchup. And, and you didn't give up very much to get him. So I, di I didn't think of it as too significant, but still something, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm of the opinion that late round picks in this year's draft are going to be just like complete coin tosses. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not, I don't think they overpaid to get stall. I think. Coming off of a week where their games were postponed due to COVID and they're now looking at a jam-packed schedule, <clears throat> having a guy who you can slot in and out of your bottom six um, is going to be really helpful for just keeping people healthy and continuing to find success as you're playing, you know, tons of back-to-backs and tons of games over the next few weeks. Um, I think Bergevin sees it as it's a must-make playoffs year. Uh, mm -hmm. And so... Yeah, I think adding adding a role guy who plays plays a depth position. Um, nothing wrong with that. He'll probably play maybe fifty percent of the games moving forward for the Canadians once he's eligible, just to give some guys some rest. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Yeah, I think we're all on the same page with this guy. I just, you know what, 
the thing is he's got that capability, that pedigree to, to surprise some of us. I don't think any one of us are expecting it. But if Bergevin throws these, as you said, dartboard draft picks because it's so fucked up this year. And you know what? Just throw those out there and, and to get a guy that can surprise you, who knows? You know, I, I think it's a good deal. I, I like it. Um, I'm just not, a, I'm not getting any hopes up, you know, not mm-hmm. getting. And, and, you know, is, is he going to be a leader in the room? Maybe. I, I, I like the fact that they're recreating a lot of that 2010 Olympic team with Stahl, Weber, Perry now. Like, uh, it's just, a, it's a cool, it's a cool thing that way. But uh, yeah, it remains to be seen. Uh, it's something I'm going to very closely monitor both in the room and, and on the ice. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, the other team in this game we just stopped watching between uh, the Rangers and Buffalo. Rangers got into the trade, uh, the trade mix and uh, traded their uh, fourth line gritty grinder, Brendan Lemieux, for a fourth round pick. Um, Again, not very consequential deal, but uh, as a Kings fan, uh, pretty happy about the deal. I mean, I, I, I'm sure, I mean, Kyle, I think it was like a couple months ago, three months ago, you sent me a clip of him like blocking three straight shots, yeah, and, like, yeah. clearing the puck from the zone. Like that's all I needed to see. That's all I needed mm-hmm. to, to see to be like, this is the guy I want. And I, I'll admit, there's probably not enough grit on that LA team. We all talk about all those prospects they have, that loaded prospect pool, but none of them really embody a gritty fourth line physical guy who can who can really fight, you know. And if you got guys like Dustin Brown who are going to be moving on in a few years or maybe yeah. as soon as next year, you do need to kind of usher in the new generation. So I was very mm-hmm. happy to see him join the Kings. Uh, I like the player. Yeah, I think it's a great landing spot for him. I, I, you know, he, he, he can still play, you know, like he's a, he's a tough guy. He gets in your face and, and he's, he's, he's a kind of a nasty character. He'll block shots, but he can still play. He, he's, he's an NHL player, which is awesome for the Kings. I, I don't necessarily like that um, on my favorite teams kind of thing. And, I, and I'm sure uh, David Quinn, he, he loved that kind of player. Um. But uh, the general manager made, made a, a decent move to, well, to move and, him on. And, and there was some criticism there from the Rangers because he's been known to take bad penalties. Uh, he's been known to be not responsible in the defensive end. He actually costed them their game. Before that trade, he costed them the game uh, by making a bad turnover, <laughs> a bad penalty at the end of the game. And then mm. they traded him right after. So there wow. was clearly some dislike for him. I don't know if it was co- from Quinner. Or, or some other people there, management, but clearly they didn't like what they were seeing and that's why he went. So mm. um, there was a reason for this. This wasn't just them, you know, this wasn't just them trying to get a draft pick because they're not getting much. It's a fourth round pick. Right. So you got to think there's something behind it and I think that was it. And ju- just to quickly add to that before Michael jumps in is that uh, another reason is they're trying to make room for their kids, right? K- Kravtsov mm. is coming um, and they have, an, I think, a, a blue liner coming in as well, but they're, it's kind of a log jam at this point. Like guys are fighting for ice time that maybe shouldn't be. So that's another reason they have a, a luxury at forward in terms of bodies. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, it came out today. Brendan Lemieux requested a trade. So I think this was the GM doing the player a favor uh, and getting them more ice time, hopefully with the LA Kings. I think the team at the end of the day, if, if he was costing them games, like they benefit from getting a pick, uh, I know that LA, I don't know if it was a corresponding move, but once Brendan Lemieux was traded to LA, um, 
that Michael Amadio was shipped out. And so, Nick, you're the Kings fan here. What do you think of that trade-off, Michael Amadio for Brendan Lemieux? Sorry, how's this concern Amadio? Because uh, he got traded for Wolanin within the same week. So I assume that uh, hmm. there was a little bit of a we get a winger Interesting. in. Interesting. I've always liked yeah. Michael Amadio. Um, so I, uh, I'm a little surprised that, that, kind of, that your cat, that's literally breaking news to me. I, I, that totally flew over under the radar for me. Um, so what you're saying is it's almost like they're, they're making room to make room for Lemieux. They got rid of Amadio. Well, uh, so they, they traded Amadio for Christian Wolanin from the right. Ottawa Senators. And he's a defenseman. Uh, and he's a defenseman. Right. Uh, and this was around the same time that they made the trade for Brendan Lemieux. Interesting. So, Okay. Yeah, I know. In in Amadio, he I mean he's a bottom he's a bottom six winger. Like he 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 did have some time on like every so often they plug him on the top line, but he's a bottom six winger. Yeah, you're making room for Lemieux. That makes sense. Lemieux's definitely more physical than Amadio. Uh, I didn't see that same kind. I yeah, he's not nearly the physical uh, character player that uh, that that Lemieux is. So if that's what they're trying to do. And they're trying to foster some physicality. Then I, I see why they did that. But I always liked Amadio, so I'm kind of surprised to hear that. Sorry to break that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a little breaking news. Okay, uh, we truck right along to probably the most biggest story of the week. If I had to pick a, it's a hard week to pick a lead for this for this these last two weeks because <clears> I, I assume it's just a lot of calm before the storm of the trade deadline that's going to be coming up on the twelfth. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we, we truck along and it's gotta be the Tim Peel news. Um, NHL referee, Tim Peel got an early start to his retirement after his comments about a penalty he called on the Nashville predators, uh, were caught on a hot mic and were heard on the TV broadcast during Nashville's game Tuesday against the Red Wings. Peel was overheard discussing a penalty he called against the predators saying, quote, it wasn't much, but I wanted to get an effing penalty against Nashville early in the end quote, he was said. Uh, before the audio cut out. Um, In response, NHL Senior Vice President of Hockey Operations Colin Campbell said, nothing is more important than ensuring the integrity of the game. Tim Peel's conduct is in direct contradiction to the adherence to the cornerstone principles that we demand of our officials and that our fans, players, coaches, and all those associated with our game expect and deserve. There is no justification for these comments, no matter the context or its intention. The National Hockey League will take any and all steps necessary to protect the integrity of our game. Peel had worked more than 1,300 regular season games, 90 playoff games. Uh, so clearly a guy who was you know, already almost done. I believe he was going to retire in a couple <clears throat> months anyways. So uh, Kyle, you've been on the record saying you are a Tim Peel fan. Uh, so run me, run me through your emotions <laughs> when you got this news. Oh boy. So I want to be careful with my answer just cause I, I don't want to take both sides. I want to try to pick one side because the two sides are as follows. Um, in my mind, hockey is probably the hardest game to officiate. It's so fast, so much going on at once, all this kind of, all this kind of stuff. So Yes, referees are going to miss calls. Now, in my in my head, the the most innocent form of what Tim Peel is talking about is a referee or a team of referees misses a call. They go into intermission. They see that they've missed an obvious call. They go into the next period thinking, okay, let's try to get one back for the other team. That's the most innocent version of this uh, blasphemous act. 
right? And and I I totally understand why they would try to do that and why that's part of the game because it is part of the game. Um, however, I'm going to sit on the fence. I'm going to sit on the side of the fence that said that says 100% of the game should be called as it is seen. I think that uh, you know referees are human and that's part of the game too. Um, I think that it's an imperfect system and they're trying to perfect something that cannot be perfected. The last thing I want to make a uh, point on is, um, you know, there's an art. There's an art of hiding a penalty. You know, some, some of the, the most um, annoying players like a Marshawn are the best at this, where they can get away with a slash or a hook or a spear and not be seen. I think that's an art to the game that I think you want to, um, to keep around. And if you can do that, if you can, if you can have the mindset where, okay, the referee's not looking at me, I'm going to give this guy a shot. I think that's part, totally part of the game too. You know, I, I, I just think the referee should call it as they see it. I don't think they should look at any sort of replays at the intermission at all. And I think if need be, they should be held accountable at the end of a game. Um, if there's a, an egregious call that needs to be discussed upon, uh, just to keep things accountable and, and, uh, and keep the game pure, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I didn't really, I wasn't too excited to talk about this topic. It's not something that particularly interests me. Um, but when I did my, my two salient points I'd have on this is like, why can't we just call the game based on the rule book? Like not based on the context of the game, who's winning, who's losing. Like we have a rule book agree on it. Like have, have people like, as uh, I believe it's Ferraro who's mentioned this, have everyone get in a boardroom, retired referees, current referees, old players, management, whoever you need to, to help in making this decision, agree on the rule book, adhere to the rule book, call it like the law, right? Michael, just, just, you got the statutes, you got the provisions and the statutes and call it, call it how it is. Uh, you don't need to interpret who's winning the game, who's losing, who you've been, who you've been giving, uh, you know, advantage to throughout the game. It's that simple. And then the other thing I'd like to see is some way we can hold these referees accountable. I would like a post-game presser where one of the referees sits at the podium and we get to ask a few questions. I'd really like that because we've heard time and time again, referees say, I made the wrong call in the moment. I regret it. And I would like there to be some kind of system where after the game, they can admit they made a mistake after seeing the replay, talk <laughs> about it. And, 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 and all that jazz, because then we can learn more about the situation. There's less muggy area. There's less, there's less, it's just more clarity, um, more transparency. And I think then you can even hold them accountable because this is a very competitive job to be in. There's, there's constant turnover in the NHL referees like occupation, and they're constantly being evaluated every single year. So these guys want to do good at their jobs. And I think to be held accountable, we shouldn't force kind of like a system like that. So that's my take on it. Uh, and lastly, I'll say I was a Tim Peel fan. Uh, we'll go back to, I believe, season one of the Rink Moose podcast, where we were laughing at that moment where the puck shot off the goalie or something and hit him in the balls. Um, and I and I fucking love that. You remember that clip? No, it was a Saint, it was a it was a St. Louis, Florida game. And what was it, Michael? Like it, they shot it on Luongo and he kind of like saved it and it ricocheted and just hit him in the balls. Is that what happened? Yeah. So it, I, I believe I haven't seen the clip recently, but I believe what happened is it was like a deflection or save that went into the corner, hit Tim Peel 
right in the balls and then bounced back in front and ended he up in the net. He shot back. He like yeah. the, the puck like <laughs> hit him in the balls and he shot back into the boards. Like he was so this weak, he's this weak, fragile old man. And then I and then I and then and then I heard these quotes. Like Kyle, I don't know what you thought. Like when you heard the clip, I was like, this sounds like just some drunk sitting at home. Like, <laughs> when he's like, it wasn't much, but I wanted to call a fucking penalty against Nashville. I was like, who's this drunk like sitting at home with beers and potato chips on his belly? Like that's what it sounded like. <laughs> But but I was like, how? Huh, that's that's what Tim Peel sounds like. I was expecting like a more older guy, uh, like a grandpa. So uh, yeah, there you go. Well, and so right. the Luongo highlight. I'm gonna call it a highlight where uh, Tim Peel got the assist on it. Uh, right after it, Luongo turns and gives the death stare to Tim Peel, who's crouched <laughs> over in the corner, trying to recover from taking a nut shot. Uh, oh God! Gotta love, gotta love Lou. Uh. Yeah, I guess if I could if I could add to this, I just want to say that the way they crack down on it to me is really frustrating. I would prefer they come up with a if they had like a general meeting and explained what they wanted to see from the referees rather than just making this guy who was in the last year of his career anyways have to now mm-hmm. sit out in shame. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is a referee who refed 1,343 regular season games and 90 playoff games. He had refed winter classics before he had refed all-star games in Ottawa. Um, So like he'd had a good career as an NHL Mm -hmm. referee. And all of a sudden he's leaving in disgrace doing something that we know every ref does. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that's correlated most with penalties drawn is penalties taken. Um, And so as far as officiating goes, I love the idea of accountability. I know that Nick's a huge interview guy, so I'm not terribly surprised he came up with that idea. Um, <laughs> but I think more importantly, you don't need to call the rule book perfectly. You're going to miss things, but protect players. Don't, mm. don't not call a boarding call because you've already called two or three penalties for that team. Like if a guy gets hit and there's a risk of injury, call a penalty on that play if it was an unsafe play. If somebody mm-hmm. gets tripped going into the corners, call it. <clears throat> and instead of, instead of addressing the issue at hand, which is makeup calls, instead the NHL basically pushes Tim Peel to the corner of the history books, and you see referees like Eric Furlat covering their mic while talking to players like Wayne Simmons because mm-hmm. all, they, all, all that they're worried about now is what's going to get picked up on the mic, not about calling the game. Right. Yeah, it, it's it's an imperfect system how they how they've handled it, and I think what ultimately has happened is Tim Peel has been the poster boy for the NHL getting in or so called getting in front of this, and and you know in the media or at least dealing with the problem uh, when ab- that's absolutely not what's happened. It's just you've sat the, you you didn't even fire the guy, you've just sat him down for the rest of the year. He's still being paid, you know. Like it's it's simply a media play by the NHL, and they want this to absolutely die down as a as a topic. Um, because let's be honest, it's probably still going to happen in some form or another, and uh, and that's just you know more needs to be done, you know. And and I think maybe hopefully hopefully since they haven't done it in season, maybe it's an off season thing or a pre playoff thing. Um, but it's it is a bit of a problem, especially. You know that whole another layer of you know gambling, which everyone's gone into, uh, is is 
is the next thing, you know, will people want to gamble on NHL games if they're not being officiated properly, which is now a topic of conversation. And obviously that's been beaten down like a dead horse, but it is a real legitimate topic. Well said. And with that, we move along to a topic we touched on last uh, episode, which I'd love to get Michael's thoughts on. Uh, the NHL Board of Governors officially approved proposed changes to the NHL draft lottery system. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to recap, the three changes were one, the number of lottery jaws was reduced from three to two. <clears throat> so the last place team cannot draft any lower than number three overall starting in 2021. Number two, the maximum number of places a lottery winner can move up <clears throat> is limited to 10 spots. So only 11 teams can win the number one overall pick. Instead of 16, that'll start in 2022. And no team can win the lottery more than twice in a five-year period. That, too, will be in 2022. So Kyle and I commented on this. Uh, I know you're a big prospect guy, uh, Michael, and we'll get into them later on. But as far as just these these changes, that certainly will impact uh, our, our beloved draft lottery. Um, what, what do you make of this? Well, I guess... What I'd love to have is more clarification because you can move up max 10 spots. So let's say you're a bubble team, right? And you win the lottery yep. two years in a row to move up from 14th to fourth, two years in a right. row. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, maybe you're, you know, you have to trade players out or players retire. You have a bad <clears> year. You end up lower than that and you could win the lottery again. But instead of having the opportunity to move up, mm. you're stuck maybe it's sixth or something like mm-hmm. that. Right. I guess the idea of drafting is the teams that need the good young talent are supposed to get those players in the NFL. They don't have a lottery at all. Um, that encourages tanking, which is something I get that the NHL wants to avoid. But I think that this system is going to have weird outlier cases, which actually harm rebuilds more than help them. Um I do like the fact that the worst team can't slide further than third, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I saw these rules and I thought I would have some sort of problem with them. And I, I, I personally really don't. I mean, you know, the, the fact that it's just two teams up for lottery grabs, I think that's great. Like, I, I don't think Detroit should have picked fourth, you know? Um, I, I, the, the two, the two lotteries in five years, I think it's so, you know, it, it's, it's unlikely that a team, you know, it has happened a, a la Edmonton, but I think it's so unlikely that a team is going to run into that problem. Um, and I think e- e- even if they do, you, you'll, you'll be able to point to when they did win the lottery and say, Hey, you already won it twice. Like don't make such a fuss kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, the, the moving 10 picks up. Sure. I, I get it. I mean, should the Rangers have won the first overall pick? I, I, I don't think so. That, that's a little bit crazy. They've already had so much luck in their rebuild, getting Panarin and getting all these guys and stuff and, and hitting on guys like Miller, who's a great prospect. Um, so I, I don't have any glaring issues with this draft. And in fact, it, it's probably with these draft rules, I should say. And it should be mentioned. I don't know if you said it, Nick, but it takes part in 2022. So Buffalo could legit could you know hypothetically win this year win 2022 and win 2023 uh because the rules don't take place until uh 2022 
So well, the latter two, the first one will start taking place this year. And that's the well, one is, about, it, about a team not can't the last place team can't go any lower than three. Oh, okay. So that that's immediately. Yeah. Okay, cool. No, yeah, that's, that's totally cool with me. I, I think so. This is... So if that's Buffalo, Buffalo will get the third overall at the very least. We'll get the third overall pick. Yeah. I think that's, that's totally fine. I think, you know, lottering off three picks is a bit, a bit much anyways. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I don't really have a problem with the rule. In fact, I, I kind of prefer it at this point. Yeah. So, to be clear, Go ahead. Uh, there are only two lottery, two lottery winners this year, or that doesn't start till next year. This year. This year. This year. Okay. So the, uh, only from now on out, only one and two are up for grabs. Three will three will be decided based on who the the last place team is or. You know, you know what I mean. Okay, and and it's actually a funny year because most years we have kind of teams fighting for that last place spot, but I mean with Buffalo and that losing streak, I'm look. I haven't checked the standings, but they're eight points behind Anaheim, who's thirtieth. So oh. it's basically set. It's it's settled that Buffalo is going to get third overall. Is well, it settled. the year? Is it the year you'd like to have at the very least third overall? Probably not. No, because Kyle no. and I have talked about how basically picks one to. Four four or five are interchangeable. Um, so it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of ridiculous in that respect. So shame for those Buffalo fans, but it is what it is. Mm. I do think, I do think that uh, in a normal year that a system like this would actually be quite helpful for the Seattle Kraken, right? Because there's, there's a saying you either sell success or you sell hope and mm-hmm. having Vegas pick whatever it was, I think it was sixth in their yes they weren't exactly selling hope so they had to sell success and there's the excitement of hockey coming to the desert and they succeeded so that worked out but uh cody glass took a couple years to get to the nhl whereas i think this year and this year is different from other years but this year perhaps having only two selections helps seattle at the very least sell hope if they can't succeed well, I, right. I never even thought about the Seattle point. So this is the first draft Seattle's in, or is that going to be 2022? I think it's this year. I think it's this year. So that that's pretty brutal, if yeah. you ask me, because they're going to be making all these trades. They're going to be acquiring these picks to for teams to protect players. Vegas, I believe, had like three first-round picks, right? They got Cody Glass, they got Nick, Nick Suzuki, Suzuki, and they got somebody else, uh, that defenseman, Brandstrom. Was it Nick so, Hague? It was Brandstrom. Oh, Brandstrom. Yep. Right and, right, right. and so they got three first over. They got three first round picks. This is not the year you want three first round picks. So no. it's very, very disappointing. It's like if I'm, uh, <laughs> if I'm, uh, you know, what's his face? The, the GM there. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kicking myself, you know, that, that the year I happened, my inaugural season, mm-hmm. when I'm supposedly going to have all these draft picks is such a saturated draft as far as uh, talent goes. Well, you know what? To be fair, Nick, I think that's what people said about 2017 as well. Um, was it? Yeah, it was 2017 when when Vegas picked. Is that no? Maybe it was 2018. No, Cody Glass was in 2017, right? Or it could be wrong. Could be wrong on that. Nick, you're uh, you're muted there. 17 17 seems a little early. Well, okay. 2017. 2017. Oh yeah. Okay. Fine. Yeah. So, okay, at, at so the let, time, let's look at the draft. Let's look at the draft. The, um, hey, no, the, the draft was good. Nick, right. But at the time, 
the draft was considered a weak draft. Right. It was Heischer and Patrick. It was that. It was. It was a. It was an outlier year where you didn't have a over like a number one overall guy. Yeah. Um, and then you've had McCarr, and then you had Pedersen, and then yeah. you had a lot of crazy guys crazy later. Yeah. 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 So they're they're like all I'm saying is this this draft we're about to run into is very unknown and it could end up being a really good one we just don't know i hope you're right because i was reading the pronman article and after like after the top 10 i stopped reading because i was like who are these european schmucks i know know, i know i was just like who are these guys like i was excited reading about like the first eight to ten guys and i was like okay i'm checking out yeah i'll learn about these guys later yeah i mean I don't know about what what you're thinking, Michael, but I've told Nick this in the past that this draft has just very. It's I've been very. It's been hard for me to get invested and to be looking into it. You know, it, it's just very lackluster, and probably because the guys aren't playing, but it's just not interesting to me. It's it's so disappointing because to me, uh, like I, I always have more invested in in next year's draft with Shane Wright. Yeah, Shane yeah. Clark, who played on the Don Mills Flyers the same year as Shane Wright, who is projected to be a top 10 pick this year, potentially mm-hmm. top five. Uh, I was really excited to watch what he'd do in his draft year. And he he had a good start in Sweden, and now he's just waiting for if the OHL is going to play. But any potential hype disappears when all of a sudden players are doing interviews from home rather than playing on the ice. Right. Yeah. The OHL is just such a travesty right now. And now with this this latest lockdown, I, I don't even think that they might not even have a season, it's which just, is yeah, just, it's just a wasted year. <laughs> it's despicable. Like think of Shane, like think of Shane Wright, boys. Like this is so sad. Like not only the draft year. Yes. All the guys drafting in 2021. That's horrible for them, too. But like Shane Wright is losing a crucial development year for a guy who could be a very, very important player for this sport. You know, it's unbelievably disappointing what's going on right now. Very disappointing. Don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> um, hey, Michael hey. was the one. Michael's the one who was going to buy season tickets this year. Oh, like that's yeah. just terrible. I know. I know. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> okay, moving on to a later note, something that Michael <laughs> will love to talk about. We're all depressed. <laughs> Two weeks ago, when we were doing this show, a young man by the name of Jamie Drysdale made his debut for the Anaheim Ducks. And so fitting that this week joining us to give us his instant analysis is the number one Jamie Drysdale fan we know, Kyle. Yes. Michael Robson. So um, you've had you've had a you've I guess you've had a couple weeks to watch. I know he was injured for a bit, so that obviously kind of delayed things. But still a sample size nonetheless. I know these are some late night games in Anaheim, so maybe it's not getting the most traction up here in Canada, uh, here on the east east uh, east side. But uh, what what did you think nonetheless? Well, I think the best way the best way that I can talk about how impressed I've been with Jamie Drysdale is to highlight the game which statistically might have been his worst game yet, where he was minus three against the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, a game against Colorado who were 8-0-2 coming in to play the Anaheim Ducks, who have just have just been awful. They have the second-last power play. 
They're second last in shots uh, uh, per game. They have the fifth most goals against per game and the third worst goals for per game in the NHL. And despite all that, an 18-year-old defenseman is averaging 18 and a half minutes per night and drawing defensive zone starts where he looks poised, he looks patient, he's controlling the puck as he carries it out of the zone. Um, he's getting power play time. He's getting time four on four with Cam Fowler, Ryan Getzlav. Like he's being trusted by, I think it's Dallas Eakins in Anaheim, right? Um, and so despite that, he's minus three. And the first goal is something which even the best defensemen in the league are going to have a hard time with. He gets walked by, uh, by Nathan McKinnon, right? Like we'll give him that. Nathan McKinnon makes defenders look foolish every day. You're an 18 year old. Of course, he's going to do it to you. The second goal gets a little lost in his defensive zone, but ultimately he ends up back in front. He's taking his man and the puck rings off of Ryan Miller's shoulder and in from behind the net. Uh. Right. And the third goal he was on for at that point, they're down four two, and he gets caught chasing with a little bit of a pinch and then he's back on D and there's just an absolute lack of communication between him and the forward who's back checking. And next thing you know, he's behind the net while somebody's tapping it in on the side that he was supposed to be on. But I'm just so impressed with the confidence that this young player has playing defense at 18 years old for a team that realistically, um, it doesn't look like he's getting a lot of help out there very often. Uh, I, yeah, I cannot stress enough how impressed I've been. It looks like him and Zegris are having a great time out West too. It's, it's a lot of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I admittedly, I haven't been watching the games personally, but I did see his, his debut game was, it was a, a beauty of, of a, uh, of a debut with the goal and the assist. And then uh, from what I've heard on the reports, it sounds like him and Zegras have revitalized power play too. total facelift. And, um, and then just based on what you're saying, it, it sounds like the guy's just unflapped by this whole NHL situation, which, which is, you know, I, I didn't predict this kind of thing happening. It, it's, it's, it's quite a, quite amazing. Just and if you look at the other side of the, the pond, the other side of the, the country, I should say, or just just a, a bit further north in Bowen Byram, yep. you know he, he's having a little bit of you know he's having his growing pains for sure. He's looked good. He's 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 looked like he's he's definitely fitting in. He's having some good moments, but yeah, there's some defensive lapses. There's some nervous moments, and it sounds like Drysdale is is just very. Um, seamlessly fitting in, so that that's great. That's amazing, amazing news for Jamie. And and you called it, you know, way better than I did, Michael, because I didn't have a ton of faith in in young Jamie. But it sounds like he is more of that. You know, maybe let's not use that kind of compare the Scott Niedermeyer mold. We should say that total calm, um, collected defenseman. Well, and. Does he need to work on his defensive game a bit more? Absolutely. But what sure, oh, of course. Does? Yeah, um, oh, exactly. Yeah, but just his his patience on the breakouts strikes me because he's not chipping it off the boards every time. He's taking it behind the net, he's recollecting, and he has the he has the feet and the hands to just push the puck up carefully 
in a controlled manner and settle things down for this Ducks team. And I think, I think they did the absolute right thing, starting him with the Gulls uh, in San Diego yep. and then yep. bringing him up. And I think he's developed a confidence with his own game and he clearly has the trust of the coaching staff. And it's, it's been a lot of fun to watch. The, the Gulls being in which a team where he lit it up, by the way. Yeah. Like he was putting up serious defenseman points in the AHL, which is no slouch of a league. So he, he, he went down there, he earned his call up, and then he sounds like he's been showing up for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you may, you brought up a good point, Michael, how like he's earned the trust of Dallas Eakins, because <clears throat> if you just compare it to the Zegras situation, What's interesting about Zegris is he hasn't played every game. He's been in and out. He's a healthy scratch every so often because they really want to like work him in and be patient with him. And yet Drysdale, it's almost like seemingly he's getting these 18 minutes a night every game. So it speaks a lot to that. And then also the fact it's a defensive, it's defenseman. It's a different position. There's more trust allocated to that position. Usually it takes longer for them to develop. So I think it speaks volumes that he's getting this consistent ice time and Zegers is, is kind of like waffling in and out. So, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, other than everything you just said, I, uh, I think that's all very on point. Not to mention, I sent Nick the, uh, the, the soundbite of the Zegers oh, yeah. mic'd up and the guy just comes off as such a prick, like just mm-hmm. such a guy you don't like. You don't want he's on just, your team. Yeah. You just he's, don't want he's, he's bossing Drysdale or he's actually telling Drysdale what to do which I do not like whatsoever. Like, oh, get it to me here. Oh, yeah, you move over at this point. It's like, shut your fucking mouth. Who the hell are you to talk? Well, you know, I, I don't like this guy. So I know I know one of the things that, um, that we're going to come to talk about at some point is Luke Hughes, and I'll touch more on the U.S. National Development Team program once we get there. But I think... Yes, please do. I think it prepares players really well for success at the junior level. <clears throat> and really good skills development. But sometimes, as far as character goes, you're tossing players in with a bunch of their own age group, and that can that can just lead to... It, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can just lead to a little bit of, uh, of an ego thing that they just need to work through, right? Right. Yeah, I'd love to get into that later, for sure. Um, well, hey, I mean, why not? I mean... We've had a number of signings uh, this past week. Kyle informed me about the Alex Newhook signing. Uh, there was, uh, of course, Cole Caulfield in Montreal. There was Spencer Knight in Florida. There was Cam York in Philadelphia. Um, did Minnesota sign that kid too, Kyle? The uh, I think so. What's his face? Uh, Boldy. Yes, he did. Yes, they did. Okay. Yep. So it's been, and, it's been a and, hectic week. And, Shane Pinto, I believe, has signed. Great, I, with I, Ottawa. I could be wrong, but I believe he has signed. So, so a hectic week as usual when these teams are getting eliminated from this college hockey tournament as yeah. the final four is, up, is upon us. Um, and uh, yeah, all, all these players signing. Uh, and with that, I mean, I just thought we'd open the floor to talk about any of these you know, incoming prospects you want to talk mm-hmm. about, whether any of those that just signed or uh or 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 just any prospects you know for the even for the 2021 draft so any anything to mention on those guys i listed from any of you oh go ahead mike if you want to start 
Well, just for me personally, I think the most interesting one, um, the most interesting one is going to be Cole Caulfield. Uh, I think the rest of those players are very highly touted and will add to their teams, but I don't think any player will come under as much speculation as Cole Caulfield will joining a Montreal Canadiens team, which currently sits fourth in the North division. And I think they're looking to make a serious playoff push and potentially run. And so I think whether he can transfer his goal scoring ability at the junior and college level to the professional level is something that is going to be interesting to see. I hope he succeeds because I'm not entirely sold that his skill set will make it easy for him to transfer, but I think he'll face the most criticism potentially. So that, that, mm-hmm. that would be my prospect signing of note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'll touch on Caulfield might as well. Um, let's be honest. This guy's going to win the Hobie Baker. I, I think that's a pretty much a lock for him. He's going up against Pinto and a yeah, goalie. but th- that award's kind of meaningless. Wow! Like, I like I, I've heard so much about this guy won the Hobie Baker. You know, Jimmy VC, Adam uh, Gaudet, Kill McCarr, and, and I'm just like, man, the Hobie Baker. Like, I don't give a fuck, man. Like, Kale this isn't the. McCarr. I know, I know, it's the Heinzman of of hockey, but it's not the Heinz. Let's be serious here. It's not the Heinzman. It's I know, but it, it simply says, Nick, that you were the best player in college hockey, which I just, right when now... I see, yeah, but when I see guys kind of be, be you know, flunk around in the NHL after winning the Hobie Baker, I'm like, well, why is this such a big deal? Well, I guess. So I think the difference, though, between some of the players you brought up there, Nick, and, and some of the other winners at the Hobie Baker is the year that they win it in. Right? Like winning the Hobie mm. Baker in your senior year compared to a player like... Jack Eichel, who I can only assume won it in his freshman year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I think there's a difference there. Um, but I do agree. If you look at back at the list of Hobie Baker winners, that it's a bit of a it's a bit of a hit or miss list, right? There are <laughs> players like Paul Korea, who went on to have a great career. Ryan Miller was a Hobie Baker winner, but then like uh, Junior Lassard, who personally I've never heard of, was the 2004 Hobie Baker winner. I think. <laughs> As a as an award, winning it it can be hit or miss. I agree with you. It's not all it's cracked up to be, Nick. But players who win it in their like freshman or sophomore years, I think t- it that tends to be more indicative of their skill level. And and especially when you draft a guy in 2019 or 2020, and this guy goes on to play college and win the Hobie Baker, it it signifies that you've nailed your pick. In, in some sort of fashion. Now, he hasn't made the NHL yet, and I get what Michael is saying in, in which his, his skill set is going to be a little more... Di- he's five foot eight. It, it, it's a fact. He's five foot eight. It's going to be very difficult for him to translate that skill. Um, I think what he can do right away is be a threat on like a power play two unit, and if that translates well, then perhaps a power play one unit. I mean, the shot is going to be an NHL elite shot almost right off the bat. He's going to be an option to look for five on five. I don't think he's going to do too much. I'll, I'll be honest. Can he find some soft spots? Sure he can. Yeah, of course. But I, I, th- I think he's going to be a, a good once Montreal brings him up, mind you, like I, they're not going to bring him up right away. But once he finds that NHL spot, I think he's going to be a good third line guy who can f- chip in a goal once in a while 
and then a power play threat, which I think in this year is going to be massively valuable, yeah, especially in the playoffs when it's a grinding type game, when it's going to be like, oh, it's a 2-2 battle and we're, no one's finding any space out there. And then boom, you get a power play and boom, you get a cheap goal snipe. Like that, that's what Phil Kessel was for Pittsburgh sometimes. That's what, you know, sometimes these, these snipers can get you a cheap goal. Maybe you didn't deserve it. Maybe you've been outworked, outplayed, but you get a cheap snipe goal because this guy can just flat out fire the puck. That's what I'm most looking forward to for this guy. Spend some games in the, in the AHL, get a quick, quick tutorial, and then let's, let's get going here because, you know, all this guy's ever done is score goals, and I think uh, they, they need that goal scorer type weapon on the power play. Moving on, the prospect talk. There's one player I want to talk about in the 2021 draft. There's one I want to talk about in the 2023 draft. <laughs> big jump. Um, big jump. Uh, we'll start with 2021. Probably should, should have alluded to this earlier, but nonetheless, breaking news. U.S. National Team Development Program star Luke Hughes was a scratch from March 21, the March 21 game against Youngstown. Uh, it's unknown how much time he'll miss, but he's thought to be week to week with a lower body injury. Um, does that sound right to you guys, or is it longer than that? that I think right. that's about right. Uh, he's con- yeah. yeah, he's considered a top seven pick uh, on Pronman's uh, second most recent board. He was the number one uh, overall pick uh, projected to be. Um, and as far as his, uh, the details on the player, he's a six foot two elite skating defenseman with offensive ability, which is a highly appealing mm. toolkit for an NHL projection. Like his brothers, uh, his edge works fantastic. His skating and skill combination allow him to generate a lot of controlled exits and entries. His playmaking isn't at the same level as his brothers, but he has enough skill and vision to be on an NHL power play and to be a driver at the top level. The, skies and the size and skating combination allows him to make a fair number of stops, even if his D-zone coverage isn't completely refined. He can be a bit risky and turnover prone with the puck, and managing that is the main area of concern with scouts. He recently suffered a foot injury that will cause him to miss the, the rest of the season, of course, because, I mean, I guess things are wrapping up now. So that's Pronman's report back when he made his rankings. Um, yeah. so, uh, what impact do you guys uh, think this will have on the draft? What impact do you think it'll have on his, uh, draft prospects and where he'll go? Go ahead, Mike. Um, uh, I don't think it impacts it at all. Personally. I think, um, it's a foot injury right at the end of the season. He'll have plenty of time to rehab and recover. And I don't think any NHL team should be looking to put him in right away. Like I think mm-hmm. the approach with any, any player picked, outside of maybe Owen power this year should be to send them back for another year of development in whether it's the AHL or another league, whatever is operating next year. Um, just because of the shit show that this year has been, mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, he's clearly had offensive success at, at every level that he's played at. Uh, and he's bigger than his brothers, which is one of the big knocks that scouts had on the Hughes, Hughes brothers, uh, in previous years. Um, so I think any team would be fortunate to grab a skilled defenseman who can run a power play at the junior level. I don't think the foot injury should impact his draft stock. I think he's proven that he's probably a top five pick in this year's draft. Um, 
boy, oh boy. You know what? I don't think it's I'll, I'll echo what Michael said. I don't think it's going to impact his draft stock at all, mostly because he's had more of a sample size than most of these kids, right? Like so many guys aren't getting any games in at all, you know? So the fact that they've seen him play whatsoever is good. Um, what I will say just on the whole Hughes topic is that, boy, oh boy, I would be, perhaps I'll say hesitant to trust a Hughes brother uh, scouting report, if I may say so, because I'll be honest, like there was some, there is some talk early in this season about Jack Hughes. Oh, he's turned it around. See what happens. First overall pick. Like he's fine. Look at these. To- the guy is not even scoring at a point five point per game. He's struggling this year as well as last year. Like Jack Hughes is, is still yet to figure it out as a first overall. And then Quinn Hughes, Boy, you look at the Canucks, and like I, I think Quinn Hughes is a fantastic offensive player, but his defensive game is in what I call shambles right now. Like these guys, for whatever reason, they have such a high, they have a, such a high skill level. It almost makes me think that oh, they're they're amazing junior guys, they're junior type players. They've got skill levels off the charts, but show me a complete Hughes player, and I'll show you a liar. You know, so I don't know. Maybe this guy's different. Maybe I'm being a dick. Maybe I'm reading way too much into it. But again, if it's my team, if it's my favorite team drafting a guy in the top five, I might choose another guy over over a Hughes brother. And I'm not just being a dick about it. I don't know. I read those reports about the edge work and the skating, and I the just edge get work, excited. What has that done for Jack, Nick? Jack, I don't Jack care. Hughes, Nick, I'm betting. Nick, I'm betting he's going to be more Quinn. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I kid you not, some reputable scout said Jack Hughes had generational edge work. He had mm-hmm. McDavid level edge work. What the fuck it's has early. that done? It's early. It's, it's very I early. I know, but in, come in the, on, in the, man. In the highs I've seen, the highs I've seen of him have been really impressive. So oh. that's all I care about. Like when he had like that hat trick earlier this year against the Rangers, like that, like that was like, uh, that was the coming out party. I was like, wow. This is impressive. This is really impressive. So um, where's the consistency? Well, it's the second. I year. guess it's I, still. I guess second, it's, it's so still early. early. It's so fine, early. Fine, Pandemic fine. off season. Whatever. Yeah, I guess. I'm just. I'm. I'm now hesitant. I, it's just. All it's, I'm saying. it's such. It's such an unknown draft. Like I already don't know so many of these guys. So if I'm going with like to me, he's the opposite of a risk. He's almost a safe bet. Because I, I can kind of put my finger as to what his brothers are. So if there's all mm. this uncertainty about the draft and I'm picking fifth overall, why not take a shot at the third Hughes brother? You know, it's like a, it's like, it's like a safe pick. Whereas the other guys seem like risks. Well, so this, this brings me to an interesting, uh, th- this is one of the things I want to talk about, which is the U S national development team program mm. off the top of my head, without even looking at a list of graduates, I can name players where there've been so many concerns about their ability to defend at the NHL level as soon as they make the league. Right. But the players who come out of it, like Patrick Kane, Phil Kessel, um, Austin Matthews, Jack Eichel, Cole Caulfield, uh, soon to be Jake Sanderson when he decides to leave college. Like these players are skilled players who everybody looks at their draft status and goes, Oh wow. Like they have elite edge work or it's their hands or it's their vision. Like Trevor Zegras is a U.S. national development team player, but compared to 
some of the players who end up being top players in the league who are, who are really solid all around players. Um, I'm wondering if maybe the development team program is too focused on junior success, which they've achieved. They've beaten the Canadian team at the world juniors. I think, what is it like four of the past five times that they've faced them? Yeah, I no, I, Michael, you're, you're opening a can of worms that I, I'm very intrigued by because you mentioned a couple guys there, which is very, and, and some very big names, Kane, Matthews, Eichel, these types of guys. They spent time in that development program. However, those guys in their draft year actually left the program. Kane went to the OHL. Matthews went to Switzerland. Eichel went to college for their draft years. Very important to note because those guys ended up being the cream of the crop, uh, we should say. Jack Hughes was the first player ever out of the U.S. NTDP to jump right from that program straight to the NHL. It's never been done before uh, straight from that program to the NHL. And I think that what you find... Let's kind of summarize what goes on in this program. Essentially... You have an all-star team of American junior kids who beat up on USHL kids because, you know, they're basically, it's literally an all-star team versus the rest of the league. And then they also play some college kids. So it's either you're beating up on USHL kids or you're playing, you know, a level up on college kids in, in that sort of fashion. But what you end up getting is sort of this, I don't want to call it like a, a, this elitist kind of mentality, but you're, you're this band of, of guys who are, you know, the best from, from around the country. And, uh, and, and you're, you're treated in such a way that, you know, you're, you're top shit for a long time. And, and may, maybe that's good. I'm not even sure. Cause a, a lot of people say, Oh, you know, the CHL should make a, a league like this. But in my mind, I think you mentioned it. You know, they have a lot of defensive problems. You, you get guys who are, you know, have some sort of issues with ego and that kind of thing. And then, uh, and then you have top players like Eichel, Matthews, and Kane who leave the program in their draft year. Why are they leaving the program? You know, if it's such a great program and then you're going to shit on, on the CHL for, for their, like, why I'm getting so frustrated is there's guys out there who claim to be experts Guys like Will Scouch, who I think is he does a great job at a lot of things, but he he seems to claim that Canadian junior prospects can't defend. Canadian junior prospects are falling down all over the place and they can't defend. I don't know where this comes from, but it's a load of baloney, and I'm never gonna let it go. And everyone's like, oh, the the U.S. national team developed like they're all catching up and all this kind of stuff. I don't think it's a perfect system. Michael brings up a lot of, you know, issues with it. And I think it's a can of worms that everyone, no one has opened yet. And I think it's, it's a good time to open. Hot take <laughs> laying down the line. No, okay. seriously. Like, come on. No, man. I get it. You've been, you've been, you've been, uh, you've been fighting this fight for a while now. T- na- name shit about this name a top prospect American player who's come out of this USNTDP in their draft year who's come out and, and become a stud. They leave the program. It has been they leave. It's like and then Jack Hughes is the one guy and he's having a lot of trouble adjusting to this league. It is what it is. So 
looking forward, who are the guys who stuck with that program this year that are going into the draft next year? Who are the next like case studies? Well, hey, uh, Nick, 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 before you get into that, Luke Hughes is one of those guys. Maddie Beneers is not one of those guys. He went to college. Good. We love Maddie Beneers. Good. We'd love him on the show. Friend of the show. We love, we love Maddie Beneers. He looked great in the juniors. Mm-hmm. Character. Good character. Interview. There you go. He decided to leave the program. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But it's such a great program, right? Like, come on, man. Well, not just, yeah, I, I mean, I think, at least for me, it's just they've done a really good job of skills development. But sure. Yeah, oh, I agree. I agree. The players, the players hit the NHL and there's some growing pains. Probably because the con like like is is it something to do with like the competition they're up against or what? Maybe. Well, I, I, I don't doesn't I don't the like uh, doesn't the USNDP team just play college teams? Does isn't that how it works? No, like who, no. who do they who do they, they play? sometimes play college and the rest of it is the, the United States Hockey League? Like oh, like basically okay. the USHL is like a of a tiny, tiny right. step down right. from CHL. Right. Whereas college, it's incredibly difficult. And you're a super, you're a star to be putting a point per game numbers, right? Exactly. Oh, for sure. If you're yeah. putting up a point per game at the age of 18 or 19 in college, mm-hmm. you're legit. Mm-hmm. You are mm-hmm. legit. Interesting. And, uh, and a- Alex Turcott is another product of this system, Nick. And, and uh-huh. I know you've got your issues with that player. Yeah. Still early to call, but definitely some character issues for sure. But he played in co- like he was in college, right? Like, did he now, not? Uh, did he not play in? Um, now he is. He he went to he college with after Caulfield. he got drafted. After he got drafted, yes, right. So he did try to give it a fair shake afterwards because you but he, can't. Yeah. I don't. I don't think you can stay in the US NTDP after you're drafted. I could be wrong on that. Mm-hmm. I think. I think that's right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So no, that'll. So you're saying he got some reps in college, but not many. Well, uh, Alex Turcott, he had a really great year with the USNTDP. He went to college right after he got drafted. He had a, a pretty poor and disappointing college year. And then left and prematurely to LA. That's right. And now we are, this year is, is this year, basically. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah, very interesting. Um, which, by the way, uh, those guys like Kaliev, Byfield, uh, they're doing great. They're, they're so, doing fantastic and, with and the hey, Ontario Nick- Rain. Kaliev was a guy again went to the OHL, right? Yeah, he he didn't stick around. Yeah, two years I think from the uh, in the uh... yeah, yeah, yeah. Hamilton Bulldogs. That's right. Uh, okay, uh, last little prospect I want to touch on, but definitely not the <clears throat> the least important uh, guy. Kyle wanted to talk about um, a little little guy by the name of Connor Bedard. Oh, um, out of the WHL, the Regina Pats 2023 projected number one overall pick uh, 19 points in 10 games. Uh, give us your uh, give us your you said you wanted to say something about him this show. So the, the floor is yours. Oh, boy. I mean, I knew this kid had hype, but nowhere did I expect uh, this kind of production like I don't know if you've seen the charts, Nick, but, uh, you know, all those exceptional status granted players, you know, the the best of the best, the Shane Wrights, the McDavid's, the, the John Tavares, 
they usually do about 1.1, maybe 1.2 points per game in their 15, 16-year-old season. This guy's at a 1.9. He's got 19 points in 10 games. I'll start the segment by saying absolutely blown all expectations out of the water. Like the, He's legitimate. He, he looks like Matt Barzell out there with, with his, his, his skating and his, his skills. They, they train together in the summer. Um, absolutely living up to the hype. Um, and I think of all players, again, Craig Button or someone said this, which I thought was a great point. You know, we, we like to give people this billing as the next one and this next generational talent. And, oh, this, this could be the next this guy, the next Crosby, the next McDavid, the next whatever. And sometimes it's true. You know, sometimes the guy lives up to the hype. This guy right now is putting up, and I know it's only it's only been 10 games in a weird year, but right now this guy's putting up a season we've never seen in junior for decades or ever. It's it's that crazy. He's 15 years old. He looks like a 12-year-old, this guy. He's he's dominating the league. He leads the league in points. I cannot understate it's it's crazy what's been going down. Uh, that being said, it should be mentioned that I feel like the WHL is still getting its feet under it a little bit. Most of these WHL guys have not played. This guy, Connor Bedard, he actually has played some games in Sweden. He played for the J uh, under-18 team as well as the under-20 team. Leagues in which are, are pretty good leagues and he dominated in. Like in the under-18, he put up two points per game. In the under-20, the Swedish under-20 league, he was still a point per game. So, I mean, this guy's legit in every sense of the word. I think the production will slow down. But, hey, if this guy puts up, you know, a better point per game than our favorite players over there, Shane Wright and, and Connor McDavid, in the WHL, which is a lower-scoring league than the OHL, it's a lower-scoring league. If he does anything over a point per game, we have to talk about this guy. We have got to talk about this guy as being legitimately special. And, uh, and on the radar as, as the, one of the next big, big, big players. So now that this is the first, like he's, this is kind of his debut on the Rink Moose podcast. We've yet to really delve into this character. Um, what is his calling card? I mean, we know laugh, it's the brain, you know, and, and watching someone like Shane Wright, it's kind of, he's, he's an all around, uh, you know, defensive and forward. You know, he's a Barkov, he's a Bergeron, he's a two-way, two-way centerman. Um, what is what is who who is this Bedard character? Is it is it his skating? Is it his skill work? Is it his shot? What is it? I I would say, and it's early, but I'd say skills and shot. I, I've heard someone say this guy can is the best teenage sniper they've seen this year, kind of thing. Like this guy's so he could have a Caulfield shot potentially. Oh, for sure. Wow. For sure. Yeah. Hmm. Now he's Skate- small. How's he's- the skating? How's the skating? Oh, it's great. Uh, amazing. I-, I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if it's like a Matt Savoy, like Matt Savoy is based on skating and so is McDavid. Uh, I don't know if this guy is that yet, but it- it's too early to say, but his skating's a strength. His shot is, you know, otherworldly for his age. And I'm, I'm sure his playmaking is, you know, very, very, very excellent as well. Okay. Well, it's going like to be a he's, long he's making, Yeah. 
and, and the, the thing about his points, man, like some of a lot of these goals are unassisted. Like he's doing things on his own, you know, and he doesn't he doesn't have line mates like he doesn't have great line mates in Regina right now either. Like he doesn't have a Zade wisdom, like a guy who's going to be drafted pretty high. I mean, he doesn't have line mates at all. I couldn't even name them. He's doing amazing things right now. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about him a lot more as we move on here. What do you have to say, Michael? Um, I just want to toss in. So I read a Scott Wheeler article about Connor Bedard and specifically his time in Sweden. And I think that's where the quote on the shot came from. But one thing they pointed out was that while he was in Sweden, they actually played him at center, despite at the time he was registered as a five foot nine player. Mm-hmm. So, they, so they trusted him down the middle. And on top of that, he seems to come from like really grounded roots. Scott Wheeler wrote about how his mom, Melanie, uh, worked at St. Giles International and that they consistently had international students staying at their house while he was growing yeah. up. So I think, I think one of the things that we're going to see is that Connor Bedard is cut from the Connor McDavid, Cindy Crosby mold of let the game do the talking, be a hardworking guy off the ice, and just um, understanding that understanding that like there's there's more important things as well than hockey, but that uh, he's just going to be out there outworking people night after night. Mm-hmm. Actually, just I, I just watched a YouTube clip on him today. You mentioned his mom. I'll mention his dad. He's some sort of. I don't know what he does for work, but he drives like three or four hours a day. And Connor Bedard, he was interviewed and he said, oh, you know, I see how hard my dad works and I just want to, you know, model my work ethic after his. Again, just doubling down on the good family stock kind of thing. And and his neighbors actually built his shooting pad in his backyard for him to practice. Um, And then uh, one more little kind of funny personal thing is this guy... (laughs) You know, he's the kind of guy who looks like, you know, if he wasn't a hockey player, if he didn't make it as a hockey player, he'd end up on some beach in Tofino. You know, he just looks like some sort of surfer kid. You know, he's he's got that kind of funny, you know, blonde streaks look to him. So he's a he's a funny little kid. And boy, what a what a player. Very intrigued to see this kid, what happens with him in the next few years. Well, that's a great segue, is it not, for the U18? Yes, so you you circled the date on your calendar, April 26th. So please inform the listeners on what is going down on that day and why you're excited about it. Yeah, so such a fun bit of news that came through just recently is that the World U18 Championships, which is a yearly event, and thank God it's still taking place this year. They've just uh, released the 25-man roster. And of note, players such as Shane Wright, who will get his first action of the season since World Junior Camp, will be on the roster. That's great news. Connor Bedard, who we've just talked about, will be a 15-year-old on a U18 team. We'll get some, uh, some action there. Dylan Gunther, who is the number one uh, prospect for Pronman's latest rankings and also lighting up the WHL. We'll get a spot. Brant Clark will man the blue line, which will excite all of the Rink Moose fan base. This is a team we'll all watch, man, for all different reasons. This is going to be a ton of fun. International hockey's back. I love it. It's a great tournament. It's, 
I think being held in Texas of all places, what a goofy fucking place that is. And, uh, and I'm just so happy of note. One guy who is uh, a notable omission is Matthew Savoy projected top three pick in the 2022 behind guys like Shane Wright and Brad Lambert is not on the team. And I could not tell you why uh, he has played well enough this year to be on the team, but yet he is not on the roster. And I will look into that a little further, but uh, just going to be a really exciting, exciting team for a lot of 20, 2021 guys, but also Nick's boy and Shane Wright, Grant Clark, your boy, Michael. And amazing. And, you know, Connor Bedard, who we're all interested in. This is going to be a great tournament. Um, and I, I want to know what your guys' hype level is. Well, that, like I didn't know anything about this. And now you've just you've just reinvigorated my spirits at, at 11 p.m. I'm, I'm full of energy again. This is incredible. <laughs> so so the, like so the, this is too good to be true. Like I've never seen a, a tournament where you have players from fit like such a broad age group, 15 to 18, the mm-hmm. best in the world. And, and you mentioned Texas. That makes sense because they, they don't even have COVID anymore. Everything's open there. So right. I, if my assumption's correct, I assume fans are going to be at these games. I, I got to look into this, Kyle. Um, I don't know if you're in a celebratory mood or not based on like the, what news you've had with your job recently, but uh, we should just fly to Texas. What do you say? Where'd he go? He may have frozen. Man, that lines up perfectly with because uh, it starts April twenty sixth. That's right when I finish exams. Oh, fuck it! Perfect way to end it. Nice, nice little celebrate celebratory week or two there. But yeah, I think I think Kyle froze. Jeez, no, that that like I've like I said, I I hadn't heard of this, um, but that's just that's incredible. Um, what a what a stacked roster! Like to have the first overall pick in 2022 and 2023 and 2021 on one team. Yep. Uh, th- you don't see that in other tournaments. You don't, you don't get that in the world juniors, right? Well, and uh, I think Carson Lambos is going to be playing as well. And so that'll be, that'll be interesting because I know he's, I think injured right now. Mm-hmm. So he's not playing in the WHL. So it'll be nice to get another look at a uh, look at him too. Who's uh? What's his story? What where, where is he? What 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 draft year is he? So he's this year. I think he's he at one point was a top ten, and I think now is sort of middle first round. Um, uh-huh. And just another one of the defensive prospects this year. Who, uh, I think he's more of a skilled player from what I remember. Um, but plays in the WHL, so you know that they're gonna turn him into a solid two way guy. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, uh, yeah, that is, it's all news to me and I'm, I'm extremely hyped to, uh, to hear about all that. Um, so while we wait for Kyle to rejoin us, um, because the next segment I was actually just going to ask him about, um, about something, uh, related to the prospects. Um, but let me open the floor to you, um, to you, Michael, I had a question for you. Um, yeah, fuck, this is awkward with him, with him, with him, uh, with him gone here. But nonetheless, so there's a there, you've been following the playoff races, right? 
Yeah. And, and that okay. So I know you're not one to prognosticate because we talked about your Winnipeg prediction at the top. You don't like to revisit that. But as kind of a one of our final segments here today, I wanted to forecast, given there's a month left in the season, what may happen, particularly in the Central Division and the West Division, as Kyle rejoins us right now. Um, basically, if, you, if you've been reading these playoff projections on The Athletic, this Dom Luschician he basically has said it's a 90% chance that the top four teams in the East division and the Canadian division are going to be making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And basically all that's left to be decided now with a month left. The only reason to be watching hockey other than seeding is to determine the uh, fourth seed in the central and the fourth seed in the West. Mm-hmm. So in the central, we essentially have a race between Nashville, Dallas, and Chicago. And in the West, we have a race between the Blues, the Coyotes, and the Kings. And you could, e- you could even include the Sharks for that matter if you, if you still want to go down that road. So I know you don't like m- making these guesstimations, but what, who do you think has the leg up in all those races? Because now would be a good time given everyone's so neck and neck to predict how you see that falling out. So who do you like in each of those two divisions? Well, go ahead, Mike. Off, like, I think at the start of the year, I had Columbus sneaking in as the fourth seed in the central. But based on Line A, Line A's time there, as well as just the general feel, I'm not sure if Torts is going to be able to get this team there. I don't know if they are entirely bought into his style of play. And I don't think that his style of play actually reflects the skill set of the players um at the same time yeah i don't know chicago is a weird one they're doing this without kirby doc and jonathan taves kirby doc comes back and can make a splash i'd like them to make it because i just don't trust nashville i i have very little faith in the nashville predators So put me on record saying that. And when Nashville wins the cup in a couple months, we can come back and revisit this one. But I'd go with Chicago in the central. Um, And out West. Yeah, out West, I just, I think St. Louis has too too solid of a two-way game to not take that fourth spot. Wow. You believe that much in Jordan Bennington? I don't entirely trust Jordan Bennington. (laughs) But I do like Ryan O'Reilly and Braden Chen. And but the goalie is the most important position in the sport. I know it's ridiculous, <laughs> but <laughs> I hate it. Um, <laughs> fan, I hate it. Uh, but yeah, I yeah. As far as goaltending goes, if we're going with that, then it's going to be Arizona, right? Like it's got to be Arizona out of that division because mm-hmm. I like Cal Peterson, but but LA doesn't doesn't have it. Well, well, and here's the news for you. I mean, the way I was going to kind of prognosticate what may happen here in the West is, of course, I think the most talented team there is the St. Louis Blues. I, I, I have there's no hesitation in saying that. The problem is 17 of their last 21 games are against the Avs, oh, Vegas, boy. Ve- Vegas and oh, the Wild. So, wow. so that's it. That's it. 
They, wow. they only they only have like three other games and they're against Anaheim. So it's like it's like three of 21 games is against Anaheim and the rest are against those three teams. So it is like a death row, death march the rest of the way for the Blues. So they're the most talented, but they have the toughest schedule and they're very injury riddled right now. I can get I can go at nausea. They are Colton Pareko still injured. They're hoping to get him back soon. Still injured. They've been a mess since he's been out. Okay. This is how much of a debacle it's been in St. Louis this year. Troy Krug has been terrible. You look at his numbers. <laughs> it, it is it, he's getting paid like a top defenseman and he's not producing at all. Mike Hoffman was a healthy scratch the other day. Right. And he's getting paid too. Um, where else do we go? Uh Tarasenko since he <clears throat> came back. He's got one or two goals. In like in like in like ten games, um, no one's no one's firing on all cylinders. There, Thomas has had a bounce. He's terrible. Had a, he's stepped back this year. Terrible. Um, what like I this team has perplexed me. I said it when Petrangelo left. The identity of the team had been fractured, and I'm seeing it on full display right now. And I'm seeing that Jordan Bennington is. You were seeing who Jordan Bennington is now because he doesn't have the elite defense as a mirage hiding everything uh, mm. like he did in the years past. Um, although I will still give him the game seven game against Boston. That was still one of the best goaltending performances they'll ever see in a game in a sudden death game. With that said though, every goalie has a good game and he just happened to have a good game at the most crucial, crucial part to have it. But the point is there's no more safety blanket for him. He's struggling. The team in front of him is struggling. And I don't think there's, they should be considered a shoe in. And I think if there is a dark horse, it would be my beloved LA Kings because they, unlike St. Mm. Louis, unlike St. Louis, they only have six games against Vegas and Colorado and Minnesota left. And so that's a lot more of San Jose. That's a lot more of Arizona. And that's a lot more of Anaheim. So you consider the schedule. You consider the fact they're they're still competing very hard. They beat Vegas the other night 4-2. So they're still they're still competing. Cal Peterson is a star. I said it two years ago on this podcast. He can t- now people finally are knowing who he is. He's the guy the Leafs probably wanted in the Jack Campbell trade. They didn't get. Um, and uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if they're the dark horse. To me, I think Arizona, too much of a, a car Kemper's still injured. You know, until he comes back, I'm not sure how much stock I can give them. So is Ranta, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Aiden Hill was their starter right now. And and we saw them get lit up for nine goals yesterday against uh, Colorado. So it's not pretty. Um, and, 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 and Connor Garland's getting helmets whipped at him from your boy, Nathan McKinnon. <laughs> um, so, so highlight of the week so far. Highlight of the week. I, lo- I have never seen that. A flick of the wrist. A flick of the wrist. Helmet in I the face. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I would probably, I, I'd pick the Kings probably to get that fourth spot. So there you have it. You heard it first here. And, uh, as far as the central, I am I'm still, I still believe in Dallas. I still believe they have the veteran presence, the structure, the goaltending to get them through. They have games in hand. Mm. Uh, and I, I still, if I'm betting on any of those teams, I'm probably betting on Dallas. <clears throat> well, I'll jump in here and I'll start with the Honda West. And uh, as a third party, as a neutral party, Nick has convinced me as a, as a, a neutral Honda West hockey fan that, uh, that St. Louis is shit. You have convinced me that St. Louis is very awful. Good. And uh, no, I'm, I'm hearing all this stuff and I'm like, I'm looking at the record here and I'm not inspired whatsoever. I mean, Arizona, 
like we talked about the goaltending, if they're not healthy and Arizona's got so many issues internally, I think they're even looking to trade one of these good goalies too. That's what I've been hearing as one of them is on the block. Um, and then LA has been a pleasant surprise. Kopitar has been fantastic this year. I mean, if you want to add a little bit of youthful exuberance, they've got tons of guys to call up. It's just, it, it's a good situation there in, in, in LA. Forget fucking, forget San Jose. I mean, technically San Jose is absolutely within sniffing distance. We cannot deny that, but at the same time, we're all denying that pretty, pretty confidently at the same time. So I could definitely see LA doing some, some stuff there. Um, Colorado's going to run away with this division. I should say uh, Vegas is at a, uh, a point where they're coming back to earth a little bit. They're goaltending suffering maybe a little bit, just a touch. Larry's and, not himself. Uh, I can tell you that much. I saw some, <laughs> yeah. some, some of the highlights last night. That is not Marc-Andre Fleury. Right. Um, right. So uh, I think there's right. some merit to what you just said. Right on time for fantasy playoffs there. Um, and then just going back to the, the Discover Central. Um, Nashville's been on a, a little bit of a heater here. Seven, oh, sorry, six straight wins. Uh, that'll come crashing down, as we know. Um if, if a win streak means anything, is that you're due for a loss is in my mind. So I think Nashville is going to come down Chicago. You know what? Uh, Dallas. Yes, they have games in hand, but you're putting too much responsibility on them. Like they, they have to do something with those games in hand. And I don't know if I trust them to do that. Uh, Chicago just got doc back. I just watched the game. They just played. They looked pretty good. They looked pretty good against Carolina. Uh, so I'll, I'll put my very little faith in in the Chicago Blackhawks. Lankinen's been a, a revelation. So uh, I think they can get it done. They've got the, the leadership to do it. Um, but let's be honest, those top three teams are, are a bit of a murderer's row in that division. Minus Florida, who I think is going to start to struggle without their star defenseman, Aaron Ekblad, who's out for the season. Probably probably was deserving of, of a serious Norris consideration, but uh, I don't know what they're going to do w- without this guy. This guy was a, a rock playing 25 minutes a night. That's going to seriously rock the boat in Florida. So um, that they're obviously in a playoff spot. They will continue to be, but that they will drop a little bit too. So just before we move on from prognostication, I want to point out two other predictions I had at the start of the year that weren't terribly far off. And the fact that Minnesota is looking like a, a bit of a playoff lock. They are. Oh yeah. yeah, they are. And Carolina isn't too far off from having the best record in the NHL. So we'll see how that plays out down the stretch. But uh... honestly, Mike, I, 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 if you were to ask me who I would take out of the central right now, it'd be Carolina. They'd be my pick. I really I don't like- know. Yeah, I mean, look at Trocheck's been a god. I don't know how he's doing it, but he's been a god. Their defense is just as good as ever, and then their goaltending, you know, you know, behind that defense is always going to look good. I mean, they're they're good, man. They're just they're legit, and they're so deep. They're just so deep. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Florida is now becoming the odd man out out of those three juggernauts because of the Ekblad loss. Yeah. But they're serious. That's a serious, serious division. 
and uh, I don't know. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of good teams out there. So, Vegas, so for, Colorado. So for the record, Michael has St. Louis and Chicago. I have Dallas and L.A. And Kyle has L.A. and Chicago. Chicago. Wow, a lot of love for Chicago on this show. And I, I want to yeah. bring back to attention that I called Nashville to absolutely miss the playoffs. So I'm booking. I'm going to put money on them to win the cup tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I'll say? I'll just if we're tooting our our own horns here. I think I might have been the only one to predict um, Toronto, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Montreal making the playoffs in the North. I could be wrong. I could be very wrong. But I'm just throwing it out. We'll have to check the tapes. Yes, check the tapes. Okay. Uh, as tradition dictates on this show, we end it with the much anticipated edition of the laugh track. The car um, To recap the fans, I finally caved in and dropped Alexi Lafreniere. Uh, I told myself I'd keep him till the end. I'd see how he'd produce, see if he'd be a liability come playoff time. Sure enough, he's been averaging between 8 and 10 minutes his last, I don't know, 5, 6, 7 games. Um, when he does score, it's simply, he's not earning his, his goals. He's not earning his assists. And I'm, he's now off any power play units. So I just see him as an anchor that's holding my team back from another championship. I am in wing, win now mode. And I've dropped him. And sure enough, Kyle used his first waiver claim of the year, his first and only waiver claim on his beloved Alexi Lafreniere. So uh, why don't you, this is your segment now from now on, Kyle, because I'm out. I've checked out. <laughs> I am out of the game. I, I'm no more Ranger games for me. I've had enough. It's been enough on my mental health. <laughs> and uh, it's the, the, the floor is yours now from now on. This whole segment is yours. So please go ahead. What a joy. So I have, I have to update the listeners on what's going on here. So ever since Nick drafted the player, I've been scheming on a way to somehow pry him off of Nick's hands. And what I've done is I've, I've rather deceivingly, I don't, I don't know. I, this is pretty malicious if you ask me, but I've always been kind of in the group chat in Nick's ear. Oh, this guy sucks. Like, look at how bad he's doing. Like, I can't even believe all this stuff. And then when Nick said finally to me, oh, I, I'm going to drop him now. He's not, I, I made no mention of having any interest in picking up the player, even though as soon as he said that, I knew my heart was set. And, uh, and this is, it's just, it's fate. It, it is what it is. I mean, Nick, you took him with a fifth round. So I think you should, you owed it to yourself to keep him at that point. You know, it's, it's. I don't blame you for what you did. What either. do you mean you owe so, you, you take someone in the fifth round and you owe it to keep them? That's a that, terrible investment. That sounds like it sounds like you have bit the bullet on whatever happens. If you take him with a fifth rounder, like you know, like you're in you're in the long run. Yeah, when I expect know? him to be a fifth worth a fifth round pick, he's not worth a fifth <laughs> round pick. He's worth a 15 round pick. <laughs> so, anyways, um, uh, that's what happened. And I picked him up with my waiver claim. And my logic was, you know, I still believe the player is going to be the like the guy I always said he would he would be. Now he's been picked up off the wire. So he's going to be a 15th round keeper. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to be dropping Kachuk as my keeper. 
And uh, and now I get to have my two favorite players in Makara and Lafreniere on my team for, for the foreseeable, probably for the next decade. You know, it's a very it's a very exciting time. And I, I have been so giddy all week. And, and I made a point. I wrote this down. I made a point not to put in the waiver claim until midnight on the night before. So as not to arouse an alarm with the commissioner, a.k.a. Nick. Why would first off, you wouldn't alarm me because I can't do anything. Once I've dropped him, I can't. My, I'm powerless. Anyone can place it. I know. I, I just wanted it to be a surprise. No, it, it wasn't a surprise. And and secondly, <laughs> and secondly, did it, notice how no one else made a claim for him? I didn't know. No one that. else believes in him. I did not know that. And I didn't want to ask you. I wasn't going to ask you because I would have been, you know, meddling. So uh, I, I had to make a claim and I, I thought it was a good, uh, a well-spent claim. I just couldn't comfortably keep him with the fifth round pick, knowing that I have Connor. Uh, I have Kyle Connors is like a fifth is like 14 or 15. And I recently picked up uh, Michael's boy, Kirill Kaprizov. And that's going to be my 15th round pick. Michael, if I'm not mistaken, who would you rather have? Kirill Kaprizov with your 15th pick or Lafreniere with your fifth pick? I mean, Kaprizov with the 15th, but I, I think that's because Lafreniere is being entirely misused by David Quinn. So if, coach, if the coaching changed, maybe I'd take that risk with the fifth, but Kaprizov with 15 is a much safer bet. I just, I, I am sold. I know he's older and you can't compare the two, but when I see Kaprizov skating three laps around the, the offensive zone and, and, and manning the power play and playing 20 minutes a night uh, in his, in his rookie year, that excites me way more than eight, eight minutes a game. You're always going to be behind Panarin. You're always going to be behind Zabanajad. right now. It looks like you're always going to be behind Capococco. Because Kako, no. is, he's playing with Strom and Panarin every game. Yeah, like, they're now. not friends. They are not friends, him and Kako. And Kako is getting the, he's getting the treatment right now. And Lafreniere is not. You know what? I, can I, you know what I'm going to say? And, and I'm, I did a lot of due diligence before I made this bold pickup. Bold? You didn't that, do anything to do it. Like, yes, you, I did. You don't I give did. up anything. What did you give up? I do. I'm giving up Kachuk in my keeper. It's a big move. It's a huge move. You just said Kachuk's overrated. He is overrated. That's, but he's very valuable still, you know? So what I did was I looked into two things. First of all, in, in Lafreniere's draft year of the QMJHL, I was like, is, who is this guy? Is he going to be a, a shots guy? Like, is he going to get me good peripherals? This guy put up more shots than any first overall pick in the last, like we're talking, we're talking McKinnon, McDavid, M- like Lafreniere is a fucking volume shooter. If you look at his last year in the, in the queue, this guy put up more than five shots a game. He was a shot machine. Um, and then, and, but yet he's known for his playmaking. I'm he, not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. You're not going to see it yet. You're not, that's the thing. And I, and I'll, I looked at another thing. His first year in the World Juniors, when he was 17 and he was way out of place, he looked terrible. He looked like a fourth-line guy who did not belong. And a mere one year later, he was MVP of the tournament. I trust this guy to figure it out. I trust this guy to turn it around. And when he's comfortable, he's going to be Leon Dreisaitl 2.0. That's my prediction. I don't see why not. They have the same build. They have the same body. They're, 
Lafreniere is supposed to be this brilliant hockey mind. You know, that's what, why not is my question. Why not? Drysaddle's not a great skater. Sure, he, he's 10 pounds heavier. That's all he is in terms of physicality. It's, it's the brain that, that is the main driver here. I mean, hey, my question is why not? I mean, we talked about Carter Hart and confidence off the bat. I think you get a little bit of confidence in a, into a player with the skill set of Lafreniere. And is he more productive than he has been? For sure. Dry is a lofty comparison. Oh, sure it is. Sure. Yeah. But at I'm- the same time, yes, that's, that's the best case scenario. But I don't know. Why not? For me, it just came down to like, I got to be honest with myself. And then the fact is he doesn't excite me to the extent other prospects excite me to, you know, like Tim Stutzel excited me more when I was doing my homework for last year's draft, you know, even, even arguably Byfield, I found more intriguing. Um, what a and, then mo- shit. and then, and then moving forward, Shane Wright's my boy. So I, I don't like he's Lafreniere doesn't fit Nick's mold of a prospect. And if he doesn't fit my mold of prospect, then I'd rather be on someone else's team who's going to appreciate him a lot more. So there you have it. Oh, I think it all works out uh, just like Shakespeare in the end. I don't need know? him. Yeah. <laughs> I hope. Hey, I, I wish him the best, but I don't need him. My my one question is this: Will you continue to follow his career as you have been? Yeah. Well, no, 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 not as I have been. I I to- we I've watched eighty percent of Rangers games this year. I can't. I I have I've lost interest. Yeah, and Michael's laughing because the Rangers are pitiful and just a terrible team to watch it's because just... of because <laughs> of this Quinn character. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, like the me. way I see it, as long as those two guys, Zabanajad, he's getting signed to an extension in a year. He's finally okay. picked it up. He's a star. He's, he's his star numbers are finally coming to fruition. So him and, and Panarin are the faces of the franchise. So like I just. I want him. To, I want this to be his team, just like Minnesota is Kaprasov's team, and it's not. And I don't see that happening for like three to five years. And I'm not willing to wait that long. I'm sorry. I think at, as of next year, Lafreniere will be a a star player in this league. A star in this league. Says the guy who said two more years of power skating. <laughs> Get your shit together. I uh, don't know. Wow. Yeah, he's got some he's got some work to do. He's got some work to do. But hey, that was uh that was part of my spiel to get you to drop him. I tr- I offered you such large trades early on. Such large I offer I offered you Kopitar. And you said no. I offered you everything. Because we didn't know no one knew who he was at that point. <laughs> he hadn't even played a game. Those deals were meaningless as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I took him with the fifth pick. That's as much of an endorsement as what we thought over of what we were going to be. You know who else went in the fifth round? Fucking like Braden Point went in the fourth round. Okay. So like just to put that into perspective. I know. It's I, crazy. I took the biggest chance on him. Bur- and I, I, took, I, and I, I, I took Bergeron. I yeah. paid for it and I'm not paying any more for it. And he's you've gone. Paid, you've, you've paid your tax. I've paid my tax. I'm going for the championship. That's it. 
Well, done here. As long as, as long as you sleep and I sleep at night, you know, yeah. like I slept yeah. so nicely last Great. night. Great. I, I put so in the glad. waiver claim and I, I was out like a light. No, you probably st- you stood up till three in the morning to make sure you got him. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. I almost did. All, all week I was so I was on the edge of my seat. I was like, okay. what's going to happen? I should I should have had I should have sent in someone like uh, like Joe just to piss you off. Hey Joe, uh, put in a waiver claim on laugh. That's the thing. I, I had I had number three waiver spot, so it was either you or Josh who could beat me, and I know you couldn't. I couldn't. You so Josh, so, so Josh only, is and Josh wouldn't do that. You know, that's funny. It's not his guy. It's not his guy. That's funny. Oh, my question here. My question is, Michael, why? Why did you drop Caprizon? Um, honestly, I figured he was going through a cold slump and that I'd be paying enough attention that I could pick him up again a little bit later. I was trying to, I was trying to win a matchup. And instead what right. happened was I didn't pay enough attention and I got snookered and I've regretted that move ever since. <laughs> right. Um, I feel for you. I've, I've been there. I've been there many times. Um, have you heard the latest on Marco Rossi? I'd love an update if you've got anything. Uh, I there's been no news as far as I've heard since he was out for the year. Um, right, I haven't heard anything either. I think no news is good news because they said he was out indefinitely. Um, and I think their plan was to let him recover and come back 100% healthy next year. I am going to be really disappointed if this ends up being like a serious inhibitor to him playing because I was very excited about seeing him play this year and I'm excited to see him play next year and hopefully he's healthy. Hopefully he's okay. And we get to actually watch him play NHL hockey soon. Yeah, I agree. It's it's sort of about Jonathan Taves too, right? It's like, I just, first of all, hope he's healthy and then if we can get him back and play in Blackhawks hockey that would be fun to see that one I still don't understand like what actually happened to him Taves he got I just heard he was getting really tired yeah. but hey I, that could be that could be so many things right that's probably just like a, a veil of, of what's really going down I'm not sure well, and he asked but, for privacy, and I think Rossi did too. And so far, it's been right. given to them, which is nice to see, especially in a sport where, like, most things are put under a microscope. Yeah, 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 yeah. Agreed. Okay. Well, uh, on that somber note, we end this. Uh, we end the <laughs> eighth episode of the Rink Moose uh, podcast of season three. So, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, yet again, gracing us with your presence, Mike. Um, we look forward to our next episode, which will be April. It will be after the deadline. The deadline is April 12th, quickly approaching. So as usual, there'll be a lot of news to break down then. Like I said, from the start, this was kind of a calm before the storm. I was happy we got to get into more uh, prospect talk, which you don't get to do often. Um, and uh Yeah. Um, unless there's any closing comments, uh, that's all I have. I'll just say thank you to Michael for coming on. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say thank you to you guys for having me. Always love talking, talking shop with you guys and it's always fun and funny. So thank you. Agreed. Agreed. 
Alrighty. With that said, thank you for joining us. And until next time, Rink Moose is signing off. <laughs>